0: Row for Show Productions presents Humble Beginnings, the Undrafted Podcast. Welcome to Humble Beginnings, the Undrafted Podcast. I'm your host, Rochelle Hamilton Jr. And today is episode 52 of the Undrafted Podcast. Man, we got a good show for you. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about uh, in the lowest row, we're going to talk about the Houston Rockets and how disappointing of a series that was between them and the Golden State Warriors, man, the, the Rockets, bruh. Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just like that with the Rockets. And then staying in the NBA, and I'm in and I'm out, we're going to talk about that shot that Kawhi Leonard made. The shot heard round the world, man. That is one of the best shots I have ever seen scene and then in what's the way with chef Daddy? i get people that ask me all the time about recipes and what i'm doing and eating to stay consistent with my weight loss and this and, that and the other and i'm gonna share some recipes because i used to share recipes on here all the time and i kind of fell back on that so uh yeah people kind of got on me about that so uh yeah i'm throwing people a bone today i'm gonna I have two recipes that i'm gonna share with you and man they are bruh Like, angels dancing on your tongue. Good, bro. I mean, yeah, Chef Daddy bringing that fire for you today. And then, and this is some bull jive, man. A lot of people got upset with Joe Flacco because on yesterday, he basically said he doesn't feel like it's his job to help train and mentor second-round pick uh, quarterback Drew Locke. And you know what? I actually agree with Joe Flacco. Well, anyway, man, a big part of today's episode was inspired by this awesome young lady named Shayla. Now, I'm not going to say her last name because she may not want her government name on a platform like this. So I'm going to keep it on a first name basis. Now, Shayla, like, loves basketball. And when I say loves basketball, I mean loves basketball. She played it all through school and college, high school, all that. She basically came out of the womb playing basketball. And uh, anyway, man, we were having a conversation a few weeks back and we were talking, we were hanging out. And we were talking about the Rockets and the Warriors. And she talked about the theory of a superstar versus a champion, AKA Shayla's theory. And so I asked her, I was like, well, you know, what do you mean? And I kind of got the gist of what she was saying. But when she went into it, like, it actually made things make a lot of sense. And it's 100% correct. And basically, she said, you know, to paraphrase what she said, superstars, they're flashy, you know, they get their numbers, they get their stats. They look good. I mean, they play flashy basketball, and when things are going good, it's all good when everything's going good. But a champion, champions have that heart. They have that heart and that drive and that grit to push through when things are not going very well. They've got the discipline to do what needs to be done to get the W, even when it means sacrificing personal stats or even personal preferences. And – with all that being said, man, that actually leads me into the subject matter for today's version of The Low With Row. The Houston Rockets, bruh, this squad is so disappointing. Now, I'm really kind of upset with the Rockets. Ain't no kind of, I'm upset with the Rockets because basically I spent the first part of last week's podcast talking these dudes up and bragging on them about how they came out aggressive against Golden State in games three and four and then these dudes they go and jack it all the way up in games five and six now I'm not some hardcore Rockets fans you know I I really don't have a squad in the NBA but they're a Texas squad and I'm a Texas boy so of course I want to see them do well I want to see them I want to see the Spurs and the Mavericks as well do really well and At the end of the day, man, I just really enjoy the game of basketball. But even I'm upset about how this series ended for the Rockets because you had this amazing regular season. You know, James Harden, he was doing things and putting up numbers that either hadn't been done in decades or we hadn't even seen before. You know, I, along with a lot of other people, we were sitting here clamoring hard for how James Harden deserves to be the MVP for the second consecutive season. Now, there's still a really good chance that he's going to win the MVP award. I mean, I think it's like 50-50 between uh, him and Giannis. But personally, I think Giannis is going to get it. And after James Harden's performance in this series, I would almost say Giannis deserves it a little bit more than James Harden. Because, I mean, Houston, they did all this stuff in the regular season. And now you go and you let it in like this. And this is where Shayla's theory, like, rings true. At this point, James Harden is taking some serious hits to his legacy because James Harden is starting to look like a guy who's a regular season phenom, but he flames out come the postseason or the biggest moments in the biggest games. Now, the in re- case in point, Basketball Jesus and the Golden State Warriors themselves literally tried to hand this series to the Houston Rockets on a silver platter, and they still couldn't take advantage of it. I mean, best case— Game one was the Rockets' best chance to really get a big jump on this series. I mean, that was really their best chance to take a lead on this series. That was their best chance, to me personally, to win this series. Because the Rockets were already in Golden State's head while they were still in the previous series against the Clippers. If you remember, because if you remember, Clay Thompson alluded to Golden State watching what Houston was doing against the Jazz and said they wanted to hurry up and beat the Clippers to give Houston less time to rest. So with that, you're already in your opponent's head. That right there is huge. That's advantage number one for the Houston Rockets. Then Houston flies out to Oakland a full 48 hours before the game to adjust to the time change. Now, Golden State only had one day of rest in between game six against the Clippers and game one against the Rockets. That's Houston advantage number two. Then Houston comes out flat In game one, they didn't play very well and Golden State squeaked by with a four point win. They ended up taking that game 104 to 100. But here's where Houston really got me, because instead of Houston handling business and doing what needed to be done to get the W, they spent all game and basically afterwards complaining about the refs. And here's the thing, man. Bad calls happen in every game and in every sport. And yes, they are extremely, extremely frustrating you can just ask the new orleans saints about that but that's the human element of sports mistakes can and will happen you know in that game golden state felt like there were some calls that didn't go their way necessarily but you didn't hear them complaining about it they did they overlooked it and they did what they had to do to get the w that's the heart of a champion because because champions simply want it more than anybody else And I've been in games when I was playing football. I was in games where there were bad calls and it was frustrating and this and that and the other. And coach used to always tell us, fellas, don't leave the game in the hands of the refs. You do your job, you handle business and everything else will take care of itself. You never leave the game in the hands of the refs. You will lose every single time. So here comes game two. And the NBA, they assigned Scott Foster to this particular game. And, you know, everybody knows about Scott Foster. He's got a he's got a questionable reputation uh, with a few players around the NBA. But the Rockets as a team, they simply don't like this dude because they felt like he was arrogant, he was making calls that didn't favor him, and this and that and the other. So they complained all the way to the top of the NBA. It even went so far as, you know, Chris Paul went to have a meeting with Scott Foster and Commissioner Adam Silver, I think, back in like February to iron out some differences. Now, the ironic thing is, now, he is one of the officials for Game 2, and ironically, the refs, they weren't an issue at all in Game 2. Houston still didn't handle business. They ended up losing that game 115-109. to And the thing is, Houston didn't play very well at all in Games 1 and 2, and they still lost both games by single-digit margins. So that right there tells you that both of these games were winnable. You just didn't do enough to win them. Golden State did what they needed to do and got the W, again, the heart of a champion. And this was with Steph Curry being in the midst of possibly the worst shooting slump of his career. And he had five fouls in games, one and two, so that affected the way Coach Steve Kerr was going to play him. And the Rockets had all that on the table, and they left it. So here comes game three. And this is the game where the Rockets, they finally started getting physical and aggressive with Golden State. The Rockets, they defended well, they drove the ball, they went at Golden State straight up. Steph and Clay, they were still having, they, Steph and Clay were still going through some problems as far as their shooting goes. Uh, Steph, again, had five fouls in this game, and Kevin Durant, he was on fire, so so Steph Curry was affected a few ways. Steve Curry had to play him different because he was in foul trouble, and he also had to adjust his game because Steph Curry really kind of, he, he adjusts his game whenever KD's on fire, whenever KD has the hot hand, he doesn't want to get in KD's way because Steph Curry is a team-first guy. And so you got that going for you in Game 3, and in Game 3, Houston handled business. They did what needed to be done. James Harden, he handled his business. Eric Gordon, he was going off. He had a hot hand going, especially shooting a three. P.J. Tucker, he was rebounding like a brother coming out of a bad relationship. I mean, the Houston Rockets in that game, I was like, bro, the Rockets, they brought that heat, and they ended up winning that game in overtime, and I liked it. So I was sitting here like, man, when the Rockets make up their mind to actually do what needs to be done, they can hang with this squad. So then here comes Game 4. And Game 4, Houston got even more aggressive with Golden State to the point that Steve Kerr said in his post-game press conference that Houston was a lot like a team of middle linebackers. He said they're a lot like middle linebackers and we're a volleyball team because Houston got physical with them. Golden State, they play a finesse style of basketball. They move the ball really well. They live and die by the three, or at least they tend to live and die by the three sometimes. Now Houston does that too, but the thing with Houston is When Houston makes up their mind, they can punch you in the mouth and they can get physical and aggressive with you. And that's what they did in games three and four. And it worked. So with that, now you've got Golden State on the ropes. Now you got Golden State sweating. Like at this point of the series, you have to go for the kill shot. You have to keep giving them those body blows and then dinging them in the face to knock them out. Right. Wrong. Houston let Golden State get it together in game five, and they let them off the ropes, and Golden State never looked back. And that's where the difference lies between these two teams. Houston has a squad full of superstars. Golden State, heart of champions. I mean, and I don't even like Golden State. I mean, but you have to respect their mentality, and you have to respect the way they play. And going back to game five, man, what makes game five such a bad loss for Houston, that's the game where Kevin Durant got injured towards the end of the third quarter. And they still didn't handle business. You know, Steph Curry, he wasn't looking like himself up until that point. Losing Kevin Durant was not as big of a loss for Golden State as it would have been for any other NBA squad. Because Golden State, they were already basically set in stone before Kevin Durant even got there. They were already a record-setting, championship-caliber squad before he got there. They won 73 games. They set the all-time record. They had already won 73 games before Kevin Durant even got there. Well, that was before LeBron put his foot in them. But anyway... Um, they were already a championship squad before Kevin Durant, you know, made his arrival. So when he went out, I was like, "Bruh, you know, yeah, that's a big loss for Golden State, but, I mean, Golden State is still fine. And really, to be honest with you, man, you could actually make the argument that when, when Kevin Durant is out, somebody could actually make the argument that they tend to play, I guess, I don't know, freer, because it seems like Steph and Clay they really get going when they got that rhythm going, man, when they can get aggressive, when they can play their style of ball, So Kevin Durant's out, and this game is still winnable. So as far as Houston goes, you have your two main guys, James Harden and CP3. They have to take this game over and get this W for Houston. You would think so, right? Wrong. James Harden checked back into the game with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Golden State is leading by one point, and he took one shot the entire quarter remainder of the game and the thing is in his post-game press conference he really didn't even have a good explanation as to why he didn't shoot the ball more at that juncture of the game I mean and that one shot was a layup that cut the Warriors lead to three points with 18 seconds left to go your main offensive weapon your point man your leader he takes one shot at that point in the game and he didn't even touch the ball on some possessions like he finished with 31 points, but what good is that effort when he gets ghost during the most crucial time of the game? I simply do not get it. That was your second chance to punch Golden State in the mouth, and you didn't even swing. Shayla's theory is 100% correct. Because at this point, you have to truly wonder just how bad the Houston Rockets want to win a trophy. And the thing is, man, I really kind of hate to put it like that because I mean, I've been an athlete, I've played sports. You know, I even played basketball in middle school. I mean, I wasn't very good at it. I was a lot better at football. But, I mean, I gave it a shot. But the thing is, man, I really hate to kind of say that about athletes, man, because you never really want to question an athlete's will to win because it takes a lot to get out there and put it all out on the court and, you know, in front of, you know, thousands of people and this and that and the other. It takes a lot to get out there and do that. But, man, with the way this series played out, it's just like, bruh, does Houston truly want this? James Harden had an amazing regular season, but when Houston needed him the most, he flamed out. His legacy is becoming tarnished because the thing is, man, he's starting to gain that reputation of, you know, hey, man, he'll storm you through the regular season. You know, he may average 34 points and this and that and the other all through the regular season. But come the postseason, he can't take the pressure. And it's really kind of starting to look bad. CP3, I mean, he was basically non-existent for this entire series. I mean, at this point, bro, I mean, I, I, can't, I still can't believe Houston gave him that contract. That is one of the worst contracts in the NBA. They gave this dude four years, $160 million for a player whose play is in decline, and he's getting older. I mean, CP3, he's not the CP3 of yesterday. He's simply not. I mean, he could still be effective, I guess, at some juncture or not at the level that that contract calls for. And good luck for Houston getting rid of him as far as like a trade or a release, because as far as a trade, ain't nobody gonna wanna take that contract over. And then if you release him, I mean, you basically just threw all that money down the toilet. So he won't be going anywhere because they're handcuffed to him with that bad contract. And the way he played in this series, man, to really be honest with you, just call a spade a spade. The way he played in this series, CP3 robbed Houston on that deal. And then you had Clint Capella who came out After the Jazz Series and that press conference sitting right next to Chris Paul and basically said, hey, I want Golden State because of how everything played out last year and yada, yada, yada. Well, be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. Now, you wanted Golden State and then you got them. And then when you got Golden State, you didn't do jack squat with it. That right there was the most that that was one of the most frustrating playoff series I've seen in a long time. And, you know, with Shayla's theory, she's not picking on James Harden or anybody in particular when it comes to the Rockets. She's just straight up saying, listen, you know, they're a team full of superstars. You know, they, they played really well in the regular season. You know, they put they played flashy basketball. They got the numbers. They got the stats. You know, everybody was ooh and on and, ah and everything else in the regular season. But they won't win anything because they don't have the hearts of champions. And it's just simple as that. And they showed that in this series. And, you know, the, the thing is... In 10 years, this Houston Rockets squad is going to be looked at as the best team to never beat Golden State, or as Shayla so eloquently put it, and this actually made me laugh when I saw this, 30 for 30, the team that can never get past Golden State. And it's so true, and rightfully so, because Golden State, they've got the hearts of champions. And champions simply want it more than anybody else. Now let's move on to I'm in and I'm out. Standing in the NBA, Kawhi Leonard hit the shot of all shots on Sunday night. The shot heard around the world in game seven against the Philadelphia 76ers. And it was one of the most astonishing shots I have ever seen in my time on God's green earth. Now, I might still be a prisoner of the moment but that was possibly the greatest game winner in NBA history. Now, I'm not some huge NBA historian, so don't handcuff me to that statement, but that shot was simply amazing. Now, it goes without saying. I'm 150% in on this shot, bruh. because I mean, with the at that juncture of the game, they were all tied up at this juncture of the game. So, worst comes to worst, they could have just won in the overtime. I mean, they were tied up 90 uh, 90 points apiece. But, you know, the thing about the playoffs is, you know, the playoffs are tricky because the last thing you want to do is when you got a chance to put a team away, you don't want to go into overtime because even if that team is inferior, they might get that extra shot, that extra juice, man, that extra energy where they just, like, dig deep. They dig deeper than you and they want it more, and then they knock you out. So you don't want to go into overtime with the team if you don't have to. So with this juncture of the game, man, there's 4.2 seconds on the clock. You know, he inbounds the ball. He scrambles to the outside as he's being basically, you know, rushed out of bounds by Joel Embiid. He takes the shot, and he bounces the ball off the rim four times, and then the ball just sinks in the net, and then the arena just explodes, and rightfully so, as did everybody else who was watching that game. Well, except for 76ers fans. They, yeah, that's painful. What? But, man, everybody else? What a shot, bruh. That right there is what the NBA is all about. And the degree of difficulty, I mean, even if that shot would have been, you know, well within the parameters of the game, I mean, that's still a difficult shot to make. But then, I mean, you think about that situation, 4.2 seconds to go, and the playoffs are advancing in the playoffs on the line. It's either that or going to overtime. You're going to overtime. You could possibly lose. And you're scrambling, you're being basically rushed out of bounds by this big seven-foot-tall dude in front of you. You put the ball up, and it's got to have just the right amount of rotation, just the right amount of, I guess, spin, just the right amount of arch to it, man. And you sink that like that. I mean, dude, it was, yeah, it was astonishing, man. I mean, Kawhi Leonard with that shot, he crushed Joel Embiid's soul with that shot. I mean, you almost saw Joel Embiid's soul leave his body. I mean, this right here was a great series by two teams who proved to be both mentally tough as well as physically tough. Now you can make a case that one was more mentally or physically tough than the other. I ain't got time for all that. That was a killer shot by killer Kawhi and That right there, that was the dagger of all daggers. And, you know, I've heard uh, some analysts, they were talking about earlier, you know, was it shot or was it shot? I was hearing analysts talk about it earlier. Was it luck or was it skill, this and that and the other? I mean, me personally, I mean, it's a little bit of both. Because you got to have skills to know where you need to be at that juncture of the game what part of the floor you need to be on to get a shot that you feel is favorable. And you're doing it in crunch time. You're doing it with dudes moving all around you. I, I think when he first came, when he first inbounded the ball, Ben Simmons was on him, and then Ben Simmons passed him off to jo- to uh, Joel Embiid. And, I mean, he, yeah, that, that, I, yeah, I don't even have words. That was a great shot. I mean, he has Joel Embiid, this big seven-foot-tall dude in front of him, and he's all up in his grill, and then he just gets that killer instinct to just put it up and shoot the shot at the perfect point, and it just falls in. This was the perfect shot to end an awesome series between Philly and Toronto. Now, if you remember, in this series, we saw Philly show mental toughness that a lot of folks, including me, didn't even realize was there. You know, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler is a man. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. He showed the league that he can truly be a leader, even after all the bull jive that went down in Minnesota last season that got him traded to Philly. You know, Joel Embiid, he got sick or came down with an injury seems like more times than he was healthy. But man, when that boy was healthy, that brother is what that is. Joel Embiid is that dude when he shows up. And Kawhi, he's just straight up clowned in this series. And I think I read somewhere where uh, that particular game, he had like his worst shooting performance of the series. And he was still like at 43 or 44 percent. I mean, Kawhi straight up clowned in this series now you can say what you want about Kawhi missing all those games he missed 22 games in the regular season this year but for what he did in the playoffs and what he did with that shot he can keep missing them if he can keep producing like that now I'm pulling for the Raptors in their series against the Bucks and I'm pulling for the Blazers in their series against the uh, Warriors I mean they're underdogs in both series but man I love pulling for the underdog well that and I'm just sick and tired of Golden State. Now, I know I just gave Golden State a lot of props on the previous segment, you know, the hearted champions in this and that and the other, and I ain't taking that away from them. I mean, I respect their mentality, I respect their game, you know, how they approach the game, how they play the game. I mean, you're not going to beat a squad like that without basically being perfect, but I'm still sick of Golden State, and I would love nothing more in the NBA playoffs to see the Raptors or somebody else dig deep into that heart of a champion and knock these champions off. I mean, I would love to see that. Now, the other thing I want to see, I want to see if Toronto is going to be able to do enough to convince Kawhi Leonard to stay, but I don't I don't think so. I think Kawhi Leonard is going to go ahead and dip up out. Now, a lot of people say he's going to go to L.A. I mean, some people are saying that LeBron and the Lakers got a good chance to get him or he might go to the Clippers. But me personally, man, if I'm Kawhi Leonard, As much as I love LeBron, like LeBron's my favorite NBA player, and as much as I love LeBron, if I'm Kawhi Leonard, I don't think I would go to L.A. because that is a hot mess what they got going on over there. And now they're even talking about possibly trading LeBron. So the Lakers have no idea what they're doing. And if I'm Kawhi Leonard, ain't no way in hell I go to the Lakers. I might go to L.A., but if I go to L.A., I'm going across the street to the Clippers because I like what they're doing over there. But, yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, I'm going to leave that alone. I ain't got a lot of time to stay in the segment. So, yeah, that's another thing I want to see. I want to see if Kawhi, if Toronto is going to be able to do enough to convince uh, Kawhi Leonard to stay or if he's going to chunk them the deuces on July 1st. <laughs> What's the wave with Chef Daddy? This is my favorite part of the podcast, man, because, um, you know, when I started this podcast, I made a promise to God that I would use this platform, and I would use the experiences that I've learned, my ups, my downs, my progress, and things like that uh, that I've had, that I went through as far as my weight loss journey, I would use all of that to be a positive influence on people. And that's exactly what I get to do. And in this segment, I talk about health and wellness and fitness because, you know, even though this is a sports podcast, part of sports and part of athletics is basically doing what you need to do to be the best version of yourself on game day to be able to help your team win. But we need to take that same aspect and apply it to our everyday life. Do what we need to do to be the best version of ourselves so in this game of life we can do what we need to do to win. So, you know, with that, and, you know, when I talk about health and wellness, it's it's not just physical uh, health. It's not just physical wellness. I mean, wellness can incorporate, you know, physical health, mental health, emotional health, even spiritual health. Well, today I'm just going to talk about food, which is one of my favorite subjects. So I have people that's always asking for recipes and they're always getting on me about, you know, not putting them up. And I keep saying, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I end up talking about something else. So, with all that being said, there's no need to fear that Chef Road Daddy is here. I got you. Now, as far as the things that I eat, I eat a lot of chicken and turkey and I'm talking about a lot. And when I say a lot, I do mean a lot. I've wiped out entire generations of chickens and turkeys because chicken and turkey, they're, they're your cheaper sources of protein and I'm balling on a budget. So yeah, that's basically why I stick to chicken and turkey fish. Now when it comes to fish, Like I'll eat fish, but I generally keep my intake of fish down considerably compared to chicken and turkey for the simple fact that I'm not trying to pay eight to ten dollars for one or two slabs of salmon when I can go get, you know, when I can go get, you know, five or six pounds of chicken or turkey for the same price and actually possibly even a little bit cheaper. So I've got two recipes that I'm going to share with you today that I really like. And these are some of my go to recipes. So I eat these all the time, man. You know, they're quick. They're easy, they're high in protein, they're low in carbs, and most of all, they taste really, really good. Now, the first recipe that I have, it's a chicken recipe, and it involves Tony Chattery's Chicken Marinade. And basically, man, this recipe is so easy, you really can't mess this up what well, you can, but if you can mess this up, you just can't cook. Um, <laughs> you get a pack of chicken breasts, uh, tenderloins, drumsticks, or chicken thighs, whichever cut of chicken that you choose, and you trim the fat off of them. Once you trim the fat off of them, you put them in a bowl. You pour the entire bottle of marinade in there. You put a lid on it and you shake it to evenly coat the chicken and let it marinate for two to four hours. Now, this marinade is really good because it's got a lot of flavor in it, but it doesn't have high amounts of sugar or salt in it like a lot of marinades do. So when you're ready to cook them, you can just lay them on a cooking sheet that has a rack. Uh, If you're going to cook them in the oven, you can let them cook. Set them on that rack so all the fat drops off of them as they cook. Or you can simply grill them. Now, for me, what I like to do, I cook them in the oven because I don't have a grill. Um, but what I like to do is before I put them in the oven, I sprinkle them all with black pepper. And then on one half of them, I sprinkle Weber's Kickin' Chicken seasoning on half of them. You know, you don't have to coat it, but just sprinkle enough on there to get a good flavor with it. And then on the other half, I sprinkle Frank's Buffalo Rub seasoning on there. And again, you don't have to coat it. Just sprinkle enough to get the flavor going. And you set them in the oven and you let them slow cook for about two hours. Bruh, that, that, oh my God, that chicken is like heaven. Oh man, it's like heaven just came down and just chose to dance on your tongue a little bit. Oh my goodness. Now, what I like to eat with this chicken is I like to put those with some Brussels sprouts, collard greens, broccoli, squash, zucchini, spinach, or any vegetable that I feel like eating. And bruh, it's a wrap. And as far as like men, uh, I get a lot of guys who especially uh, ask me this question a lot. And as far as like men, when it comes to eating vegetables, uh, men, especially if you have if you're going for fat loss or weight loss, whichever, however you want to call it uh, for men, men would like to eat cruciferous vegetables. You're going to eat a lot of cruciferous vegetables if you're going for fat loss as a man, because basically what happens with men is when men are overweight, and they tend to carry a lot of fat cells in their bodies, they tend to produce more estrogen than, tes- than testosterone. Because men, every man is born with minimal amounts of estrogen, just like every woman is born with minimal amounts of testosterone. But for men, when men are overweight and men carry a lot of uh, fat, especially in their belly area, it can they can tend to produce more estrogen cells than testosterone cells. I'm not going to get into the specifics as to why that is, because we don't have enough time for all that. But when when a man is overweight, there a lot of the estrogen tends to kill the testosterone uh, levels in a man. So for men, in order to reverse that, there's cruciferous vegetables that you can eat. And there's like a whole list of them. I think there is 20 or 30 in this group. So I'm not going to list all of them for you. But the ones that I eat the most are collard greens, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, broccoli and cabbage. Um, like I said, if you want to know the whole list, just hop on Google and it'll list all of them. There's literally like 30, there might even be 40 different types. Um, but these vegetables for men, especially if you're going through a fat loss journey, you'll definitely want to eat those because, or even if you're not trying to lose fat, if you're just trying to gain muscle, these vegetables help your testosterone levels increase, which helps your lean muscle, uh, growth. So yeah, you'll definitely, want to hop on these cruciferous vegetables and try to eat them as much as possible. I mean, the good thing with vegetables is you literally can't eat enough. You got to eat a truckload of like broccoli just to hit even, you know, 200 calories. So eat all the vegetables that you want. My other go-to recipe is turkey burgers made with Tony Chattery's burger marinade. And it sounds like this is a commercial for Tony Chattery's, but I promise you it ain't because they ain't paying me not one dime. Now, for these burgers, I like to get three pounds of uh, ground turkey because I make enough for three to four days when I cook. It doesn't matter if I'm cooking chicken or turkey. I like to make enough for three to four days. You put the ground turkey in a bowl. You pour most of this marinade in there. You mix it into the meat with your hands. Sprinkle some black pepper on there. Now, what I like to do, I like to sprinkle black pepper and red pepper in there because I like to get them a little bit spicy. And you can mix some uh, garlic powder in there as well. You let that meat sit for two to four hours, put it back in the refrigerator, let it sit. Now, when it's time for you to cook these burgers up, what I like to do is I like to chop some onion up and in a separate skillet, uh, put some olive oil in there and let that olive oil get nice and hot and then put those onions off in there and let them get good and brown. And then when the onions are brown, mix them in there with the meat and shape them into patties right uh, right before I put them into the oven and let them cook in the oven for 30 to 45 minutes. Whew. Lord, have mercy, man. And I like to get those and put them with those same vegetables that I was just telling you about uh, that I eat with the chicken. Now, for me, when it comes to these burgers, I generally eat them without the bun, uh, but sometimes I'll eat them with flatbread or wheat or wheat bread or something like that. Um, now what I like to do is just get those and get, uh, some cheese, a slice of cheese. And here's the thing with cheese, man, everybody, like so many people make cheese out to be like an enemy. Cheese is not your enemy. If you don't eat mounds of it, there's really nothing wrong with cheese. I mean, if you're allergic to it, then yeah, of course you don't want to eat it, but cheese is not the enemy. It's not the worst thing in the world that you can eat. You know, people, if you eat just, I mean, if you eat that fake cheese, then yeah, but If you're eating cheese, everything in moderation, man. If you eat a slice of cheese, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to wreck your calorie intake for the day. So I like to get a slice of cheese, uh, lettuce, tomato, and some mustard. Sometimes I'll sprinkle a little ketchup on there and eat that with those vegetables. And man, I am good. G-double-O-D. So that's two recipes that I have for you, man. They taste good. You'll feel good because there's little to no carbs in it. So you're not left feeling all heavy and out of shape and everything when you eat them. And it's also going to help you get lean. If you're trying to get lean and trying to drop fat, those recipes right there, they're going to help you get lean. Or if you're already lean, they're going to help you stay lean. You know, and here's the thing, man. People think one of the biggest misconceptions about eating better, people think you have to, you know, basically get boring to eat better. They think eating better is boring. And it's just simply not true. You just have to make it fun and you have to make it different. You have to make it enjoyable. And because here's the thing, if you want it bad enough, you'll make it enjoyable. You'll find a way. You don't have any excuses. Like I talked about a few weeks ago, we don't have any excuses when it comes to things like this because there's too many resources out there. You have Pinterest, you have YouTube, you have Instagram, you have Facebook. uh I mean, you have the Internet. There's so many avenues that you can find different recipes. I mean, thousands of low carb recipes um to help you hit your goals. So, yeah, there's no excuse. Like I say all the time, when it comes down to life changes, you gotta choose your pain. You either choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret because you're either your own mechanic or your own mess. Choose wisely. And for the last segment of episode 52 of the Undrafted Podcast, this is some bull jive. Broncos quarterback Joe Flacco said in a press conference yesterday that it's not his job to train or mentor second round pick quarterback drew drew lock when he was asked by local reporters if he would help mentor him now drew lock of course is denver's backup quarterback for now but he's the guy that they drafted uh, about a few weeks ago and they want him to be the quarterback of the future and some people are absolutely upset with joe flacco for taking this position and my question is why i mean if your job comes to you and says hey We just hired this guy to eventually replace you. But before we replace you, we want you to train and mentor him. Are you going to do it? (laughs) No. I mean, I'm not. I mean – it's one thing for me if a guy asks me a question on how to do something, but to actually take him by the hand and train him and mentor him, knowing that he knowing full well that he's gonna eventually replace me, nah bruh, that's not my job. That's why we have supervisors, that's why we have managers. Or in Joe Flacco's case, that's why you have coaches to do that kind of stuff. Joe Flacco is a pro he's a pro football player. A pro football player. He gets paid to play, not paid to coach. And what he's saying here is his job is to prepare and do all he can to help the Broncos win games. And I'm 100% on board with that. I want Joe Flacco to do exactly what the Broncos brought him there to do. Be a quarterback, do everything he can to help the Broncos get back to the playoffs. You know, his job is not to train the backup quarterback. That's what they pay coaches for. That's why they have practice. That's why they have film study. You know, Joe Flacco, if you remember, he lost his starting job uh, to a rookie last year in Baltimore. Uh, when Lamar Jackson took over for him when he hurt his hip earlier in the season. So Joe Flacco is probably the last dude that you want to ask about helping train a rookie quarterback that's been drafted directly behind him. And I don't blame him one doggone bit. Now, I'm all for helping the team and everything else and doing what needs to be done to help the team win right now. But helping future prospects and training? Nah, bruh. That's why you have coaches. I'm a pro football player. I get paid to play. Coaches get paid to coach. So, yeah, I'm going to let the coaches handle that. So, I, I like Joe Flacco's answer. And I watched this press conference. He didn't say it like in a snarky way or in like a rude or inconsiderate way. He just gave a matter of fact answer. And he's like, hey, man, look, that's not really my job. That's the coach's job, which is, you know, quarterback or coordinator Rich Gangarello. That's their job to do that, not his. And I don't blame Joe Flacco one bit. Like I said earlier, I want Joe Flacco to come in. And do what he needs. Because Joe Flacco got a lot to worry about in and of himself because he's only on a one year deal. So he's basically on a prove it deal. So he's got a million other things to do outside of worrying about training some guy to take his job in the future. No, the thing is, control what you can control, handle your business, do your job and everything else will take care of itself. But bruh, training my replacement to take my job. Uh-uh. That's that bull jive. Well, that's my time for episode 52 of the Undrafted Podcast. I want to take this time to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for blessing me with the gifts, the talents, the resources to do this podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to come and hang out with me on the podcast. Remember, you can follow the Undrafted Podcast on Instagram at the Undrafted Podcast or on Twitter at Pro. Also, the Undrafted Podcast is available on Spotify, soundcloud google podcast itunes and now iHeartRadio. and i want to leave you with the bible verse today romans 5 verses 1 and 2 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of god remember do your best and let god handle the rest be blessed